Welcome to this first episode of Northern Spin with me, Michael Taylor. And me, Chris McGuire. This is a new podcast. We want to provide insight into current affairs, politics and a bit of business, but with a uniquely northern perspective. Now, I work in politics in the north. I hear and see things that maybe the Westminster news cycle doesn't. Chris and I both live in different parts of the north where we've both raised our families. We play active lives and hopefully this podcast will draw on all our years in journalism to offer some unique observations. Now, unlike yourself, Michael, I'm not from the North. I'm an adopted Northerner. I'm originally from Kent. I've lived in Chorley for the last 17 years of my life. I'm a working journalist. I have my ear to the ground on tech and business issues especially. And if the North is going to level up or it's going to be the powerhouse or it's going to be whatever Liz Trust wants it to be, that's where you'll find me. But what a week to launch a brand new podcast. In a short while, we're going to have a look at the new government under new Prime Minister Liz Truss, her cabinet, her priorities, her challenges, particularly how all of that affects us here in the North. But first, Chris, we've got to talk about the terribly sad news about the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, Michael, I think we both discussed whether or not we should delay launching this podcast for a week, but then we were both so deeply moved by, by what had happened and the coverage that's followed that we decided to rip up the running order and pay our own respects with this, this podcast. Now, the image that I can't get out of my head was the one of the Queen receiving the new Prime Minister Liz Truss at Balmoral on Tuesday. Um, there was a fire on in the background. The Queen had a handbag in one arm and a walking stick in, in her hand. She appeared quite frail. I don't know if you thought she did, but uh, she had this radiant smile that lit up the room. And what struck me looking at that picture was that Liz Truss was the 15th Prime Minister to have served under the Queen. And if you go all the way back, the first Prime Minister was Winston Churchill back in the day. Yeah, incredible, and isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I just got this this feeling that it was almost like this was one last sense of duty that the Queen was going to perform in inviting Liz Truss to form a government. Very, very poignant. I don't know if you felt the same. Yeah, I did. I mean, it was unusual in the sense that Liz Truss had to go to Balmoral in the far north of Scotland, obviously because the Queen's health was deteriorating at that point. But um, So I work at Stockport Metropolitan Borough Council uh, during the week, and it's been really, really impressive and quite tugging on the heartstrings, really, how the local institutions of the state both for the Queen's Memorial and then for the investiture or the the installation of, of King Charles III has taken place. And that's been happening up and down the country, outside town halls, civic centres. We've seen political parties suspending their campaigning and really pausing to take a moment to reflect the deep sense of grief that communities are feeling right across the country. We've got a book of condolence at Stockport Town Hall that members of the public are invited to come along and sign with their own personal tributes. And I had the opportunity to look through them, through some of them yesterday, and it was it's remarkable how, how how deeply the Queen has touched so many people's lives. They're record, recalling times when she's visited Stockport over the years, and you know, the thing is, when the Queen visits some some place and she meets somebody and she shakes the hand of a small child or or, or anyone really, and looks into their eyes and says, "Thanks for coming," or "Have you come far?" or whatever it is the Queen says, you know. People rem will remember that moment all of their lives. And I think she had a recognition that people held that so deeply. I drove into Manchester today, and it's the first time I've driven into Manchester since the Queen passed. And um, you see all these, these visual displays with pictures of the Queen from throughout the years as well, big and small. And uh, there is just this sense, of, this sense of moment, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's a beautiful mural at a pub in, um, in Tameside that I've seen as well, which... Um, 
I'll share on social media. I think it really does, does, does show how things are different. And the, the ceremony that I attended on Sunday afternoon where Stockport ceremonial mayor David Wilson proclaimed King Charles III, everyone then sang the national anthem. And, and again, I found myself singing Send Her Victorious. Mm. You know, almost muscle memory. I, you know, we've obviously got to change the words now and that's, that's different. So, Chris, so, so many different things have changed in national life. Industrial disputes, for, for a start, the, the, uh, the train workers' strike, the RMT, they've called it off. The postal workers, they've been, they've been on strike, but there's a sense that they work for the Royal Mail and it wouldn't be appropriate for them to not serve, not serve the Royal Mail during this time. So they've suspended their strike as well. But you're, you're a cricket fan. Presumably you, um, you, you gave up your cricket match this weekend, <laughs> did you? It's funny you say that because we were discussing it on the WhatsApp group, the cricket WhatsApp group. And if you look at the back, um, you know, I've got some cricket memorabilia around me because I'm a huge cricket fan. And, and, and a player, of and course. And a player, yeah. yeah Even yeah. at the age of 50, I still turn out for my beloved White Coppers Cricket Club. Good for you. And there was a big question mark as to whether we would play. Now, the test match, which is going on at the moment, um, it's, um, you know, it's due to finish today. Monday, we're recording this, England uh, versus South Africa. It was called off on the second day. The first day was rained off, so it was a three-day test match. And the question mark was whether or not club cricket was going to be called off but they decided they were going to start the test match on Saturday so my club cricket was allowed to play as it was all over the country so uh, no on, on Saturday I played for White Coppice against South Shore but what I would say is I didn't know if it was the right decision at the time but we observed a minute silence we all wore black armbands the mast was flown at half mast and actually at the end of it we were all glad that we played yeah I, I was really disappointed that football called called it off I don't know why they did it I think that they were probably terrified of some idiot ruining a minute's silence somewhere and that reflecting really badly on the brand of the Premier League and of football. I think that was a mistake. I think cricket played and they observed a minute's silence. It was at Lord's, wasn't it? it no, it's at the Oval. The Oval. The minute silence was observed beautifully as you'd expect it would be. And I think football's quite used to being able to respect death and, and tragedy in, in different ways. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't see why this should have been any different. I was really disappointed. I think the issue was is that like on Sunday... Uh, my daughter plays football. She doesn't have any football to play. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people up and down the country were in the same situation. I think, I think the football authorities were almost felt pressurised into making the decision not to have any football. And once the Premier League decided not to have any football and then the EFL decided not to have any football and then everybody in the pyramid decided <laughs> not to have any football. Yeah. So that eight-year-old who plays football um, who wasn't playing on Saturday suddenly turned up to join his sister at the swimming baths. I know that because it's yeah. my neighbour. I don't think it was. I don't think there was a right or a wrong decision. I think we're in uncharted territory, and I almost wanted it to feel different. I wanted to feel different this weekend. I wanted to think about the Queen. Uh, I wanted to look at some of the programmes on the television, but I also think you mentioned the uh, Test match at the Oval. I had the hair on the back of my neck standing up when I watched the England team singing uh, along with the uh, you know the professional singer singing. You know, God save our King. It, it was, and I'm not even, I'm not ashamed to admit it. There was a tear in my eye. Right. Well, you're right. It is different. I think whatever would have happened if business had gone on relatively, uh, as you say, as no, as normal, I think it would still have been different. Um, but anyway, moving on. So, Chris, you're a newspaper man at heart. You've edited local newspapers. You've worked for papers around the country, including the Daily Mail. Yeah. Um, now. I wanted to really to have a look at some of the local newspapers and how they've coverage, how they've covered 
the uh, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Absolutely, yeah. I spent about 18 months at the Daily Mail, and we'll no doubt pick up on that in, in future uh, episodes. Um, I was interested to look at some of the, the newspapers. Whenever you work in newspapers, and I've worked in them for 20 years, I've been a journalist for 30 years, spent the last 11 years working in business journalism, you almost have a protocol which is in if somebody in a position of authority you know, passes away, then the whole book is ripped up and you just devote everything to it, which is clearly what's happened. Yeah. They don't come any bigger than, than the Queen. Yeah. And I think the local media and the national press have really risen to the occasion. Um, so I looked at some of the front pages, the whole Daily Mail, a lifetime of service, duty and devotion. The Northern Echo, Manchester Evening News, Liverpool Echo all went for a simple headline, the Queen Elizabeth II, 1926 uh, to uh, 2022. The Journal in Newcastle, farewell to a cherished sovereign and beloved mother. The one that really caught my eye was the Yorkshire Post, because sometimes people feel the need to put a lot of words on there. Now, obviously, they've all got different pictures of the smiling queen but the uh, yorkshire post which is really a um you know a bellwether really i think for the industry used a black and white picture of the queen with a pearl necklace smiling no words because wow. almost didn't need Very any powerful, words that, isn't it? yeah it's yeah. hugely powerful hugely powerful um uh, amidst all the stories amidst all the tears there have been some lovely stories i don't know if you saw the um the the mp's sharing some of their memories of the Queen as well and her legendary sense of humour. Um, I think we've both got a lighter story about King Charles III and his home in Highgrove. What's your story? Well, I, I went with business in the community in about 2003 down to Highgrove and it was a tea party in, in the gardens and obviously everybody was very excited about meeting Prince Charles as he was then. And he came along, and I was with a guy called Mervyn Padelty, who was the chief executive of the Cooperative Bank, who was a big, big supporter of sustainable causes, and he was very keen to meet Prince Charles and tell him about all the work he does on sustainability. And <laughs> Prince Charles said to him, oh, my God, I hope you don't fund those god-awful wind turbines, which really pricked his bubble. And I thought, but that's really significant, because I don't think, as king, he would... He would ever say anything. He, he can say things like that anymore. He's, he's, he has been really outspoken on things like architecture and, um, and sustainability and climate change, quite rightly in, in, in many cases. I think he was wrong about wind turbines, by the way. I think they can look very majestic. But just expressing that view in that way, I think we're going to see a change in how he, how he behaves as, uh, as king and sovereign. I think he recognises that himself. And I also think he wants to stamp his own, you know, his unique um, footprint uh, on on the role of the monarch. Um, I'll share my story if I may, and it was quite moving actually because I was uh, doing some prep for this, and uh, I remember the headline that I was involved in back in the day when um, the then Prince Charles announced he was going to marry Camilla. Um, I was working at the Bristol Evening Post, and we had an editor at the day uh, called Mike Lowe, a massive Man United fan from Manchester, fantastic sense of humour, always believed in local news. So everybody was doing these front page headlines, Charles and Camilla to marry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the impact that would have on the monarchy as well. And, and Mike came up with a headline, Tetbury man to wed, because obviously <laughs> Highgrove yeah. was next to Tetbury. Yeah. And, and, and when I was doing this, I hadn't realised Mike had sadly passed away at the age of 68 in July. And I can almost imagine him up there now in, uh, in heaven printing his next headline, which will be Tetbury man is king. And no doubt having a laugh at that. But so, so uh, Chris, what would, what would have been the headline in the Chorley Guardian when you were the editor? Um, W uh, well, it's a very interesting Sorry, one, isn't on it? No, you have you have put me on the spot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of 
um, the Royal Family's connections with the Chorley uh, as yet. But uh, I would have contacted my good friend and uh, Speaker of the House, Sir Lindsay Hoyle. He Indeed. would have known somebody, yeah. but uh, it would have been something to do with Lindsay Hoyle. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So, Chris, we've mentioned Liz Truss a lot, which segues nicely into the first political topic that we want to interrogate on this first podcast. So, first of all, let's, let's just put it down on the line. Will Liz Truss be a good Prime Minister for the North? What's your view, Chris? Well, I think a lot's happened in the last week, and it's, it's hard to believe that she's only been Prime Minister for a week. But if we cast our minds back to last Monday and Tuesday, I didn't expect her to say a lot about levelling up, and uh, I wasn't disappointed in that respect because she didn't say anything when she made her acceptance speech about levelling up. Truss has got three clear priorities. Uh, energy crisis, which she started to tackle on Thursday, but there's uh, a lot more detail needs to, be, uh, needs, needs to come on that. The NHS and tax cuts. I think her view would be if she can get them all right, then the whole country benefits, and that would include the North, rather than creating certain regions that benefit. The first mention of levelling up came in PMQs on Wednesday, which was... If we talk about that, it was a different type of BMQ. Yeah, it, it was, yeah. I, I think it was a really welcome return to actually talking about the issues that matter to people. I think Keir Starmer was slightly surprised when he asked a question of Liz Truss and she answered it straight deadpan, which knocked him off his stride a bit because Boris Johnson's style was to go for banter and that public sp- school jolly jape stuff, the name-calling, the insults, all the rest of it, which I think really did debase public life. So for Trust to actually respond and just go, well, I want to cut taxes, Labour want to put them up, I thought, OK, well, there's a di- clear dividing line here. You can disagree about that if you're the Labour benches, obviously. But I think the message has gone round. Do not underestimate Liz Truss as Prime Minister. She's a fighter. She's served in many offices of state. She's pivoted and changed her minds on a, on a number of issues. And yet there she is. She, she's won an election to become elected by Conservative Party members, but not MPs. So she's got a lot of work to do. And I think she's throwing a bit of red meat to the Tory benches to try and bring them on side. She wants them to feel good because their morale will be quite low after all the infighting of the last few months. So I think we've seen a bit of a glimpse about how politics is going to be markedly different in the Truss era than it was in the Johnson era. I agree. I agree. It's it's PMQs, you know, um, and you get lots of questions, but we haven't had lots of answers uh, under Boris Johnson. But hopefully that will be the way of things to come. One thing I always like about PMQs is that local MPs will stand up and they'll mention their constituency in a question. And it it's relevant because um, it was the MP for Crewe and Nantwich, Dr. Kieran Mullen called for Crewe to become the home of the Great British Railways. But he was talking about levelling up, and uh, that was the first mention that I heard from Liz Truss about levelling up. The bottom line is this, is that we're two years out, probably, from a general election. Liz Truss has said that she is going to, you know, it's going to be in 2024. She's not going to do a snap election. Um, I don't think that would be a great idea. If the Tories are going to win the next general election, they need to retain a lot of the red wall seats that they won in 2019, and that's by no means certain. If they're going to do that, Liz Truss needs to evidence some of the things that she's done in the north. She's committed to completing Northern Powerhouse Rail, but the next general election is two years away, so I'm not sure how she's going to progress that. One thing she could do, and I know you're passionate about this as well because you do a lot of work in Stockport, if she could sort out the problem with Avante and restore the number of trains from Manchester to London Euston, that would be a quick win. What difference would that make to Liz Truss as a PM? I think it would show that she's gripping a problem that hasn't been gripped for the last six months. I think Avanti just ter- effectively terminating a third of the services, two-thirds of the services, between um, Glasgow, Manchester, Liverpool, various other cities on, on what's called the West Coast Main Line, has been scandalous. 
absolutely scandalous. And it's been with the complicity of the Secretary of State for Transport, Grant Shapps. And they should not have been able to get away with it, playing politics and trying to put the blame onto that, onto this divisive issue by by, by making out that it was something to do with the, the uh, train driver's industrial dispute that they've got. I thought it was absolutely scandalous. And if she can grip that, it does show an immediate priority. And even though it's something that's been called for immediate action by by Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, and various other local leaders. But obviously, Grant Shapps now the former transport minister, which which is probably uh, probably a good decision given his inactivity over the Avante situation. The other issue that I think Liz Truss could really um, could earn herself a lot of uh, brownie points with would be to deliver on the uh, bus back better scheme, see more tangible evidence uh, evidence of the devolution, and that would go some way to winning over the north. Um, one of the issues I think will be if she's going to be a good prime minister for the north, she needs to build on her relationships with her elected mayors or with the elected mayors, most of whom, of course, are the uh, Labour in the North. Now, she called Andy Burnham a miserablest mayor and a friend of the unions. Now, I think that was at the hustings for the leadership campaign. I think that was more about trying to win the Tory votes than anything else. But but that relationship and others with the mayors, that's going to be important. Yeah, it's going to be vitally important. And I think a good relationship with different metro mayors, recognising that they've got the tools, the power potentially giving them the single pot funding to be able to make real change across across their local areas, I think is absolutely essential. I think if she can do that in a non-partisan way, it would show much greater maturity. But let's, I think you've, you, you drew on a good point there, Chris. The, the Conservative Party election was absolutely in the fog of an internal war in the Conservative Party and very little to do with the actual priorities that the country faces. And I think by shifting focus to actually try and bring the country together to take the goodwill, because I think there'll be an open hand from the, the mayors, whether they're Conservative or Labour, and let's not forget the Conservatives do have two metro mayors, one in the West Midlands, Andy Street, and one in Tees Valley in the shape of Ben Houchen. If they can be seen to be working together and being pragmatic, you might see some movement there. There's very little, to be fair, very, very little recognition of the role of metro mayors from the Labour front bench either. Do you look at the new cabinet and does that fill you with glee? Glee? <laughs> well, uh, as somebody who works for a, for a Labour group on a local council, Chris, I think you, you, I'm hardly going to be mm. jumping with glee around some of that. I have some observations and some insights about they are, but, but glee is, is not one of them. What are your, um, when you look at the cabinet, uh, what names stand out for you? I think Kwasi Kwarteng is a thoughtful chancellor. Uh, I think that was a significant appointment. I think um, Simon Clark, as the um, levelling up secretary, is not a politician that many people will know very much about. I think that's fair to say. Michael Gove was a very high-profile minister in Boris Johnson and Theresa May's government, closely associated with the whole policy of levelling up. And then to give it to someone quite with, with a much lower profile is either it's an opportunity for him to make his mark or... It shows that actually Liz Trust doesn't take it as a policy priority that seriously. Yeah, it, we were talking before, how much do we know about Simon Clark? And to be honest with you, if we were put on a quiz show, we'd have finished bottom, um, you know, without the power of Wikipedia. He's only been an MP for five years. He's only 37. He had a little role 
in um, in the Treasury. Um, he's a not big a role in the Treasury, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's, he's a relatively inexperienced MP, um, so it's a gamble by trust. But I think what's telling, and this is my insight, is that you mentioned it earlier. They've got two metro mayors of Conservatives. The one who's making a lot of noise is Ben Houchin in Tees Valley. Um, it was no great surprise to see Boris Johnson. You know, jump on a uh, jump on a plane and head up to the northeast and pose for a picture in his high vis jacket and his and his safety hat. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Liz Truss do the same after you know the next week or so. You know, um, you know happens. I think I think if you look at leveling up and you look at examples where leveling up has worked, there aren't many. If we're being honest, I think the exception to the rule would probably be Tees Valley. There was uh, a lot of work done around transforming the steelworks, creating a, uh, a free port. And I think uh, Ben Houchins takes a lot of credit for that as well. I think the fact that Liz Truss has appointed a Middlesbrough MP to be her levelling up minister in an area where there's evidence of levelling up working is quite telling. And, and his appointment's been greeted, been welcomed by the likes of Henry Morrison, who's a chief exec of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, who describes Mr Clark as a long-standing ally of Northern business leaders. So he's off to a, he's off to a solid start. Yeah, that's a decent start, isn't it? So the, the, the one appointment I was particularly intrigued about was the appointment of Rossendale and Darwin MP Jake Berry. Now, officially around the Cabinet table, he's Minister without portfolio, but significantly he's Chairman of the Conservative Party. That is a campaigning role. That's, although he's the chair of the Northern Research Group of MPs, he's been a Northern Powerhouse Minister. I've seen him on platforms with Andy Burnham talking about things like Northern Powerhouse Rail and, um, and giving opportunities to, um, you know, it's really, you know, supporting the Renaissance of the North. I've, I've seen him share platforms and, and talk about those sorts of issues. He's very much associated with being part of the, the Red Wall. I think it's fair to say Darwin and Rosendale was an early adopter of that trend of Red Wall seats in Lancashire. But it's a campaigning role, is my point. And I think that shows the immediate priorities to actually get the Conservative message out to go to working class communities and say, we're still pursuing this agenda and we've got a high profile conservative MP doing that, not on delivery. Do you see that, though, as as important because he's a northern MP and Liz Truss recognises that they've got to deliver in the north? Uh, so when we talk about campaigning, he's campaigning across the UK, but will it be with a northern spin? Yeah, of course it will. Okay. Absolutely. So our podcast, Northern Spin, <laughs> could be the buzzword in politics the next two years. It potentially could do. Uh, we're going to have a short break, and then we're going to come back with some uh, some questions and some priorities from business leaders who've uh, been sending them to uh, to us on LinkedIn. Yeah, just a, just a caveat. It, they they sent them to me before the Queen's passing as well. You know, so yeah. Um, yeah. so the first one that caught my eye was uh, Johnny Clark, founder of GDPR Defender, chapter director of Startup Grind, based in Liverpool, and he said that his message to uh, Liz Truss would be shift the golden KPI, key performance indicator, away from job creation and instead focus on co-investing in productivity so that our business base punches its weight in output per hour work. So he's saying productivity first. Um, as opposed to job creation for the sake of job creation. Yeah, so Matthew Taylor, no relation, who was the chief executive of the RSA, think tank in London, was commissioned by Theresa May to do a whole report, the Taylor report, into productivity. And that's laid on the shelves for the last seven years, five years. And I, I imagine it'll still be there in two years' time. All of the recommendations and actions on it haven't been acted upon. I think Liz Truss would be 
well-minded to review that piece of work and look into it in order to address some of the concerns that Johnny has raised. Okay. Um, Elizabeth Clark. She has said she's a co-founder and CEO of a business called Dream AI in Rosendale. Uh, she's, her message to the PM will be stop funding the war in Ukraine, get Russia around a table, kick net zero into, a long, into, into the long grass, drop all the green taxes and VAT on energy bills, distribute civil service jobs from Westminster around the country to burst the Westminster bubble and get a UK-wide perspective. I mean, <laughs> that's Liz Clark sitting on the fence as always. What would your answer be to Liz? Well, I fundamentally disagree about the war in Ukraine. I think we're, as, as we speak, Chris, we're seeing the Ukrainian army have actually liberated huge swathes of their own country the size of Greater London in the last 48 hours. I think the decision to support Vladimir Zelensky's government and their fight against the Russian invaders has been, um, I think, they're absolutely the right thing to do. It's an appalling thing to have, um, to have seen Vladimir Putin and how he's behaved. And I think the isolation of Russia, instead of getting them around the table, not on their terms, I, I, I would invite Russia around the table to surrender and get their troops out of Ukraine. So I'm sorry, Elizabeth, I fundamentally disagree with you, as I do about your point about um, green taxes. Climate change is not going away just because we've got a cost of living crisis. I think we can talk about this subject in maybe in a future podcast or, or maybe with somebody who wants to push back on Liz's points, but... Nah, I'm not having that. I agree with everything you've said, absolutely. Uh, not something we've always agreed on. You know, we don't always agree on everything. No, that's, that's the whole point, But, but I absolutely agree on that. And it was, it was telling that Liz Trust, one of her first calls was to, um, you know, the president of Ukraine. I think the point that um, Elizabeth Clark made that I do agree with about the idea of spreading the jobs across the country. I, I agree with that as well, to be fair. You're starting to see that. The Treasury have moved 400 jobs to Darlington. A further 2,500 civil servant jobs will be moved to First Street in Manchester, not far from here as well. Um, David Foreman made an interesting point. No, we haven't, we haven't carried on talking about this. I, th th I, I think it is really significant moving civil service jobs out of London, but they need, the decision makers need to be moving to places. I think one of the best things that happened under the previous Labour government, if we can remember that far ago, long ago, was the relocation of large swathes of the BBC to, to Media City at Salford Quays, because that has changed the character of the BBC fundamentally for the better and if civil service jobs from DCMS are coming to First Street in Manchester that's brilliant Treasury jobs going to a campus in Darlington brilliant we've seen large parts of Britain's security and cyber resilience moving to Manchester as well and I welcome that because it's actually about a coordinated industrial strategy which are two words that I think any of the business leaders that you've spoken to should actively call for and see reinstated because I think that's been a great a great misstep by Boris Johnson to have almost buried the, the phrase industrial strategy I'd like to see that revived. So the BBC at Media City has been one of the best things that's happened in the north it's uh, completely changed the dynamic and, and the feel as well. Um, David Former, Managing Director of Praetorio Ventures, somebody I've got a lot of respect for. He says, I'm a fan, obviously, of levelling up. But honestly, with the cost of living, inflation and energy crisis ongoing, levelling up has to be lower down the priority list. I think that's a really telling remark as well, because two thirds of Praetorio's investments are in the north. Um, I, so, so I think what he's saying is, you know, levelling up isn't going to be at the top of the priority list at the moment, at least not in an overt way. Would you agree with that? I think levelling up should be not seen as an act of charity on behalf of the government towards the north, but should actually be seen as the solution to some of those problems around climate change, the energy crisis, you know, investing in sustainable energy in places like Hull, which is a, could be potentially be the centre of wind turbine, 
hydrogen as a, as a fuel cell technology, both in Manchester at the university I used to work at, but also in Teesside with some of the infrastructure that's being built there. That should be seen as part of the solution to some of the, uh, the, the, the big issues that this country is facing. Um, mindful of the time, um, I'm going to go to a question from Stephen Sumner. It's not really a question, it's a point. Interim CMO and Partnerships Director at a company called Investor Brands. He said, I think this trust should call a general election and the wider interest of the UK population. Buying a new capital won't work. Actually, it's a point that was picked up as well by somebody else called uh, um, Simon Wharton, Director of Business Strategy at a digital agency called Push On, both calling for a general election. Uh, she's already said the general election will be in 2024. Yes. She's, the, um, she's the fourth prime minister in six years. I don't think as a country many people are ready for another election. I don't think it's likely, looking at the looking at the polls, the Conservatives are at least 10 points, some would say 20 points behind Labour. Um, uh, do you see any possibility no. of a general election? No, I don't, frankly. We've got strong and stable leadership. Um, or chaos under Ed Miliband. Um, Carl Oates has made a point, director of a company called, uh, or two, Verdi Spaces, and it looks like Rakelsey business solutions carl if i've mispronounced that name it won't be the first i apologize but he makes a point the bar restaurant and casual dining sectors need stability with energy and utility costs sm um, asap and i think ideally some form of reduction in rates rate relief for shops and detail now obviously the situation has been superseded by the death of the queen um when the uh, when Liz trust made her announcement about the energy cap and and, and the two-year freeze um She's, she's, there's more details needed, especially in relation to business. What would your view be? I think it's absolutely right. I think businesses are facing a perilous time with the rise in energy costs and the uh, freezing of the price increases couldn't come quickly enough. I'm going to end with one final point. Gavin Nell, uh, managing director of a PPC agency called Yatta, said, stop making it harder for business to survive. I think it's a real struggle out there for businesses at the moment. And I'm sure this is something that we'll return to in future editions of the podcast. You with your ear to the ground, with your, um, with your various media interests, me with uh, some of my political observations and the, the, the kind of chats I have with business leaders. I'm sure we can bring some more insights. So send us your questions. So that's all for me and Chris for this first edition of Northern Spin. Have you enjoyed this, Chris? Uh, very much so. Yeah. It's the best we've ever done. <laughs> yes, so you can follow us both on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Marple Leaf, and you are? What's your name? At, uh, it's uh, editor underscore Maguire. Very good. And you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Michael Taylor, Manchester. Thank you to our producers at What Media. What a terrific, terrific organisation they are. They've really helped us. If you like the podcast, please write a review and tell your friends to listen. And finally, Chris. Uh, God save the king. God save the king.